and we don't perceive it, others may not perceive it, but it's true. It has to take a focused gaze. It has to take a focused gaze that has been enlightened, been enlightened by God's Spirit, by an outpouring of all things that are of God, and in that outpouring, by a flushing out of things that are not of God, to bring about salvation, to bring about forgiveness of our sins, to bring about a change, or as the scripture will say, not just a change, but a metanoia, a complete conversion about an about face in our lives. And this is what happens with the Spirit. So when we talk about salvation, we are, yes, we're talking about what God has done, right? We know that. We're also talking what he talking about what he's doing to save us in the present moment. Because he says we're not just saved because we want to say, Lord, Lord, and then we can go on and live our lives. Our lives and our Lord, Lord, and our relationship with the risen one, with our Lord, must make a difference. That our life our lives must bear witness to who we are and whose we are. We must truly be martyrs of the modern age, or use the Greek word meaning witnesses, witnesses to God's love. And that's what we that's why we need the Spirit. We need an outpouring of the Spirit each and every day of our lives. In December, I was I was able to do a, a retreat, and maybe with a very holy priest. Uh, maybe you've heard of him, Monsignor Esif. But he spoke about every morning he wakes up and is afraid of of, of, of the day in a sense of of not beginning without having a new outpouring of God's love. That he would forget that. So the first thing he does is ask for a new outpouring of God's love, a new outpouring of God's Spirit into his life and into his ministry. And that's what each one of us should be doing in our lives. As we prepare for this baptism, we should be asking God, today, in my, in my family, in my workplace, express your love through me. Give me a new outpouring of your spirit. Again, the double portion of your love. Speak through me today. Lord, love through me today. And this is part of what salvation means, is that God becomes enfleshed within us. You talked, Father Mike spoke, I think last month, was it, about God's love, and that's what it means. It means that this love begins to penetrate. Just as soon we'll see the spring rains coming to dampen and moisten the hardened earth that was so that was from the drought last year that it will penetrate every every um, particle of dust in the area and bring about new life. So too does God's love. So too does God's love when gently persuaded by Mary to come gently but surely and slowly. That when then our souls, like Mary's, can magnify or can make God more visible to others, that's what the Spirit will do. The Spirit will cause others to stir. John the Baptist will cause us to stir. So let's start to understand what salvation is. Let's start at the very beginning. And I must admit, as, as, I, as I wrote those words, start at the very beginning. One of my favorite movies is Sound of the Music, right? Let's start at the very beginning, the very good place to start. Now I've got that tune in your head, so I've, I've done my duty today, so you'll be singing it all week. So a long, long time ago, in a garden dark, far, far away, <laughs> Genesis chapter 2, the man and his wife were both naked, yet they felt no shame. Now the snake was the most cunning of all the wild animals that the Lord God had made. He asked the woman, did God really say, you shall not eat from any of the trees in the garden? The woman answered, and the snake, we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden. It is only the fruit of the tree in the middle of the garden that God said, you shall not eat 
or even touch it, or else you will die. But the snake said to the woman, You certainly will not die. God knows well when you eat of it, your eyes will be open, and you will be like God, who know good and who know evil. The woman saw that the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eyes, and the tree was desirable for gaining wisdom. So she took some of its fruit and ate it, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he likewise ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made loincloths for themselves. When they heard the sound of the Lord God walking about in the garden of the breezy time of day, the man and his wife hid themselves from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. The Lord God then called to the man and asked him, Where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, but I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. Don't we hide from the Lord when we sin? Think about it. Raise your hand if you've ever been ashamed of your sin. All right. And raise your hand if ever you felt maybe you were the only one who committed that sin. Or if you took it to confession, the priest would think less of you. Right? It's true. I probably don't have to ask to raise your hands because probably all of us want to raise both our hands. Because it happens more than once in our life with sin. Sin separates us from God. Sin distances us, right? It makes us hide. It makes us become someone we're not. And God, something that someone that God didn't intend for us to be. Did you catch that? That's one of my favorite subtleties in Scripture. And it begins right at the beginning. Satan always shows his hands, brothers and sisters. Amen? He always, just like Father Michael said, the fact that there were some inconveniences as you prepared for the night, that there were some disruptions to the order, that proves that what you're, the business that you're about is God's work. The business of calling up the Spirit. The business of worshiping the Lord in the Eucharist and of receiving the blessings that he has for us. That means that Satan is angry. And he should be. Because we won the battle through the Lord. Amen? But he starts with a subtlety. He doesn't start with a lie. And that's how even St. Ignatius will say this. When we are walking the Christian path, Satan is not going to put something before us that is obviously wrong. He's going to put a good before us, something that is a half-truth. He's going to put something before us that is desirable. But it doesn't mean it's good. It doesn't mean it's right. We have to use, if we have directors, use a director to help find what we're supposed to do. Because Satan used half a truth, right? He said, did he really say you can't eat of any of the trees? And that was the beginning of the conversation and the beginning of the downfall. Anytime we dialogue with Satan, we're going to fall. Because when we begin the dialogue with Satan, our gaze has been turned away from the light, from the fire of God's love. And sometimes when we turn away, that light is extinguished until we return to the sacrament and get our sins forgiven. But this, but God is all about salvation. He's all about love. It's like Father spoke of last, last time you guys met, that God loves us. Jesus dwells within us, and the Father pull, pulls us up to himself and gives his warmth to us. Adam and Eve forgot God's love. And that's what we do when we sin. We forget God's love. We think something else is going to 
is going to supply more love for us, is going to supply for us what we need. And again, we may enter into it thinking it's a good, thinking it's something that's, that, that is not sinful, but once we get into it, we see the fruits that they bear, that it bears is, is sinful and does make us less than who we are. And we forget. This, they sin, again, by being disobedient to God's will for them. And again, as Father Mike had shared, that this sin was against an infinite God whose love for them and love for us knows no bounds. So this sin of disobedience had to be corrected. This, this sin against infinite love had to be corrected by infinite love himself. That's why the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Took on our humanity, took on our flesh, gave value to our sufferings and our joys not on their own, but when they're united to his joys, his suffering. And we get that when we do what you're doing right now. When we spend time with the Lord, when we spend time in prayer, or as John Vianney's parishioner has said, spend time gazing at the Lord and allowing the Lord to gaze back. It's such a beautiful place to be. I can't imagine starting any day without the Lord, without spending time just being with the Lord. And at times, I'm just curious. Raise your hand if you've ever fallen asleep during prayer. <laughs> ever been distracted during prayer, right? It happens all the time. That's why I have a recliner in my chapel, because I know it's going to happen. So I just, Lord, you know what I'm going to do. So I just kick it up, and I begin to pray, and I'm ready. Not all the time, but, but some of the times. Because being, being a child of a little flower, when I read that line, I was going, yes! She goes, God, the parent loves a child just as much when they're awake as when they're asleep, right? So I said, God, you're going to love me no matter what I do. So I may sleep, I may be awake, but I'm here to be with you, to receive your grace and to talk about the sin in my life those times when maybe, Lord, I've stepped away from your love and, I'm, and that the fire of your presence hasn't burned as brightly in me as you would like it to do. So Jesus came to correct what went wrong. The Word, I was thinking about that, how Jesus, the Word, and as Father Mike said in his talk, that it wasn't kind of like Jesus didn't, or the Word didn't just say, well, i got to go down there, got to save him. He ran to do what God the Father wanted. He ran to save us. And that's the same image, can you think of in Scripture, when someone runs to somebody? The extravagant Father runs to embrace the prodigal son, runs to restore him, restore his identity. And that's what the word becoming flesh did. It, about, it was about restoring our identity, restoring our memory of who we are and whose we are. And again, brothers and sisters, none of us know who we are until we know who we are in Christ. That he will give us our identity. He will tell us what we are to do. And if we have a hard time starting with Jesus, if maybe we want that we, we just not there yet, then we start with our mother. Our mother will gently, just imagine her taking your hand as a child and walking you to Jesus, showing you all the things of his creation, all in the garden of his love, and allowing you to taste and see how good his love, his love is. Because just like Adam and Eve, when we sin, we are afraid, aren't we? There's fear there. We may not give those words to it, but there's fear there. And we hide ourselves. We isolate ourselves. Sin isolates Right? And we clothe ourselves in things that are not of God. So Jesus, in, you know, in Ephesians we hear that we get clothed in righteousness and goodness when we call upon the love of Christ or when we call upon his obedience, his suffering, his death and resurrection. That that is our salvation. 
beginning and end of it. The extravagant father is running to us. The prodigal son forgot, like Adam and Eve, who his father was. He lost it somewhere around the way because probably his gaze was on worldly goods. His gaze was on, well, I can have this much now, so I'll just take it now. I want it now. And that's what happens in sin. We want it now. We want good. We want what we want, and we want it now. And and what we're wanting is truly God. But again, Satan comes here, comes in, and disguises our desire as something else. And we sometimes believe it, but it's through repetition of spending time in prayer and through repetition of the, of receiving uh, forgiveness through the power of absolution and, and the cycle of reconciliation that the light can be restored. That's so beautiful that during this time, let Archbishop Lucas has led us to this thing of the light is on to receive forgiveness of our sins, to allow the light to be burning more brightly in our lives. It is going to be fruitful for our archdiocese. Amen? Amen. So I, so I challenge you as we're talking about sin, I want each one of you to invite two people to go to confession during Lent. All right? Two people. You each, And then we ask them, say, once you've gone, ask two more people to go. Even if you've gone this last week or before Lent, go during Lent. Think of how changed our parishes and our archdiocese will be if all of us allow the light of Christ to be on in our lives. So forgotten identity. I like fun facts. And I've shared this many times with people. So who, what is the number one theft or the fastest growing criminal thing in the world today? Identity theft. It's not a coincidence. Last year alone, there were nine point million instances of identity theft. Again, Satan showing his hand. Satan's showing externally in the world what he's doing internally, or what he's trying to do internally. He's trying to steal our identities, brothers and sisters. He's trying to make us forget who we are. He's trying to make us believe that we're not loved. And I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but I'm sure that many times in our life we've not felt worthy of God's love. We've not felt worthy of his forgiveness. We felt maybe it was for others, but not for us. Even if the sins were similar, we think, it's not for me. I don't deserve it, so I can't go to the Lord until I'm perfect. But salvation is about going to the one who will make us perfect. Taking our imperfection, taking our wounds, and entering into the wounds of Christ. And the play on words, the wounds of Christ is our womb. That's where we get life. That's where we are born and reborn and recreate each day. Then we enter into the wounds of Christ. How did Thomas get his sin of doubt healed? He entered into the wounds of Christ. And he was healed because Christ first entered into his wounds of doubt. So again, the Father, or through the Son, the Word rushes to us and enters into our brokenness, enters into those things that cause us to forget who we are, that cause us to isolate ourselves from our God and from others, and he restores us. He clothes us, as the prodigal son was clothed, in the garment of, dig of royal dignity and puts rings on our finger and bells on our toes. But he puts, puts new shoes on our toes, right? So he clothes us in his goodness. So our identity is trying to be stolen. So we know this. So how do we combat that? That's part of... The gift of the Spirit is combating identity theft. In Deuteronomy it says, Beware lest you forget your God. The people forgot God, and it was sin. 
to forget God. To forget God means not to speak to God each day in prayer. It is a sin, brothers and sisters, if we don't pray every day. And by prayer, I'm not meaning that we have to spend hours in prayer by praying the rosary or doing a litany of this or that. But it means speaking to the one we love or just gazing at him or saying, Lord, be with me today. Or driving to work in silence without the radio on, having the cell phone off, and just being with the Lord. Taking those moments of time where God has given us, has carved out of our day so we can commune with the one who created us. That God wants us to know his love. He wants us not just to know his love and know, brothers and sisters, in spiritual language means experience it. He wants us to experience it, the fiber of our being. He wants us to believe it. Don't you want to know and experience God's love in a powerful way today? It's here. Ask God for it. And as, and as God is preparing your hearts for this baptism in the Spirit, maybe you've had it before, maybe this is the 10th, 15th time that God has something new in, for, in store for you, for all of us. He's always recreating because that, that is what he does. This is from a few weeks back. It's, a, it's from Nehemiah. The people had forgotten. They were in exile, in the Babylonian exile. So this is how it was combated. Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, which consisted of men, women, and those children old enough to understand. Standing at one end of the open place that was before the water gate, he read out loud from the book, from the Torah, from daybreak until midday, in the presence of the men, the women, those children old enough to understand. And all the people listened attentively to the book of the law. Ezra the scribe stood on a wooden platform that had been made for, the, for this occasion. He opened the scroll so that all the people might see, see it, for he was standing up higher than the other people. And as he opened it, all the people rose. Ezra blessed the people, the great God, the great God and all the people, their hands raised high, saying, answered, Amen, Amen. Then they bowed down and prostrated themselves before the Lord, their faces to the ground, faces to the ground in recognition that they had forgotten God, forgotten the covenant. Ezra read plainly from the book of the law, of God, interpreting it, interpreting it so that could, all could understand what was being read. Then Nehemiah, that is his excellency, and Ezra the priest, scribe, and the Levites who were instructing the people, said to all the people, Today is holy to the Lord your God. Do not be sad and do not weep. For all the people were weeping as they heard the words of the law. He said further, Go eat rich, rich foods and drink sweet drinks, and a lot portion to those who had nothing prepared for today. For today is holy to your Lord. Do not be sad in this day, for rejoicing the Lord must be your strength. Brothers and sisters, this is holy ground. Amen? The Lord is in our presence. The Lord is in our hearts. And that's what we have to remember. These people had forgotten who they were. They had not only forgotten who they were as a chosen race, a royal people, they had forgotten who God was. And so as we're read for six hours, would you be upset if you had a six-hour mass or a six-hour six hour homily? No? Okay. Well, good. Praise God. <laughs> Some say, no, no. <laughs> right. Maybe a six-hour homily in seven different sections, right? Seven portions. But he read for six hours. And every time their heart was convicted, they said, amen. Or every time their heart was convicted, 
of what the covenant meant in their life, they said, amen, let it be, or let the covenant be lived out in my life. They were remembering, as they heard, as we read from the law, they remembered what they had lost. And in remembering what they had lost, they were found. We find ourselves in Jesus. We find ourselves in this new and everlasting covenant. But God continues to establish covenants. He did so with Noah, with Abraham, with Moses, and with David. And the final, the new and everlasting covenant with Jesus. These all being established so that we can remember God's love. These covenants come from God's memory because he promised to keep them safe and to keep us safe. And, these, this, and what's the saving event that all our lives are oriented around? The Jewish people and ourselves, right? It's the Paschal Mystery or the Passover, right? Passover, that Holy Thursday, that Last Supper where the Eucharist was born, where the priesthood was born. And that, and, the, and that the ability to receive Jesus in the Eucharist, that it began. It's consummated, as we know, when he dies on the cross, but it begins there. The process of us being able to remember and he says, do this in memory of me. Don't forget this. This is important. If you forget this, you'll forget who you are. You'll fall into sin. And again, when we forget who we are, we turn from God and we sin. For the Hebrew person to remember was not only to recall, but to invoke the saving action once again. To remind God, lest he forget, right? God, don't forget. Don't forget Thinking of even the youngest child, <coughs> when, he would, when he would celebrate Passover, he'd say, what makes this night so important? Why is this night so special? They would remember, and they passed it on. And that's what we do with faith. We remember, and we pass it on. So to invoke God's name, remembering is a part of our worship. Right? And even at Mass, just kind of recalling before the change, the anamnesis, Christ has died. Let's see if you remember it. It's been a while since he's had it. Christ has died. Christ has risen. Christ will come again. That's a remembering. That's a representing to the Father what happened. And we remind ourselves at Mass so we have hope, so we're not lost, so we are found in the Eucharist, that he is there. It's a remembering of his suffering and his death and his resurrection. But it's also this recalling, this memory shows our, not just our hope, but our expectation. You will save us, Lord. We know this. You are God with us. You are within us. So we are going to ask you to save us, and we expect you to save us. There's sort of a dual forgetfulness here, which is kind of cool. So we forget, and once we turn to God, he forgets our sins. You ever thought about that, though? It's a dual forgetfulness. He forgets our sins. You know, a lot of times, I'm sure, you know, I, I know my own life, and maybe you've experienced this, there's times when I have left confession, and praise God, not in a while, time when we left confession and still felt shame and guilt from the sins that God had just forgiven. Had for, just forgiven. And I try to bring them to God in prayer, and he has nothing to say about them. He's forgotten them. But I'm trying to hold on to them. Have you ever done that? God doesn't want us to do that. God's memory is love. St. John of the Cross says that God's memory is love. I think about this memory of love and when we think about ourselves and when we strive to grow in humility. Which list would be longer on a job interview for you, on a job resume for you? 
your strengths or your weaknesses? Which is easier for you to remember? Your strengths and your weaknesses, right? For most of us, I'd say, which is easier for you to remember about others? Their strengths or their weaknesses? It's <laughs> probably the same, isn't it? Has it ever happened where the identity of a person becomes their sin towards you? You remember how they hurt you. When you remember them, you don't remember that they're a child of God. You don't remember that they're your brother, your sister, your spouse. But you remember that hurt. I remember that one time. Right? Or all those times you did this. You always. That's our memory. And that is not good because that blocks God's grace. That doesn't allow his salvation to flow from us. So we have to remember, right? There but for the grace of God go I. That others are love centers just like ourselves. So we have to remember that. And when we can remember that, when we can remember that we are loved, when we can let love lead the way, then things will be different. Our lives will be different. Try that one time. If you have any encounters where maybe you have to have a confrontation or you have to address something with someone, let love lead the way. Pray about it for a, for a day before you have your meeting. And say, Lord, let love lead the way. Let love lead the conversation. Let me listen in love and let them receive in love and see how differently things will happen. What will happen, you remember in scripture when the time hadn't had come for Christ and they were going to try to make him a king or at one point they were going to try to kill him, he was able to pass through their midst, right? Because love led the way. If we let love lead the way, then we'll kind of pass through people's midst in those, in those times that are troubling or times when we need, to, we need God to take over. He will. He'll take us right through the situation. And things will be rectified by his love. And again, when we do that, love within us convicts us of our own sin, convicts us of our own need. But we don't remember in a sinful, we don't remember us ourselves as sinners. We remember ourselves as children who are loved by God and he wants to fill us with his love. And that's what salvation is about, is about receiving his goodness. God the Father sent Jesus so he could break our, the, the hold that Satan had on our lives and give us new life through his death and through his resurrection. In Colossians 1 verse 13 it says, He rescued us from the power of darkness and he brought us into the kingdom of his beloved Son. Again, this is precisely why he came. Jesus came was to establish a new kingdom, to create a new people, a new society where men and women are free to live under God's rule, free from the rule of Satan. To not take from the tree of life, but to be given from the tree of our salvation, the food that we need for our journey, be given our daily bread, to have our sins forgiven. At Mass, we remember, right, we remember God's love, we remember his forgiveness. Martha, this is, the, remember Martha and Mary, John, verse 11, excuse me, John chapter 11, verses 21 through 27. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went to meet him, but Mary said at home, Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus told her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, even if he dies, will live, and everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, Yes, Lord, I have come to believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, the one who is coming into the world. 
Belief is, is important. If belief wasn't important, Jesus would have said, this is the truth. But he said, do you believe it? We have to believe it in our hearts. And not that, that just he came for, for others, but that he came for us. That he came to express his life, his death, his resurrection in our lives. To experience and to be enfleshed within us. That our lives, our ordinary lives that are some, sometimes humdrum, can be made extraordinary if we continually turn to him and say, enlighten my heart today. Fill me with your spirit. Live out your life in my day today, Lord. That that's what happens. That he continues his mission within us. His mission of salvation by transforming our hearts. By regaining land, territory in our hearts. In the kingdom of our heart that we've given over to the enemy. And in our hearts there's all those different areas. The good soil, the bad soil, the rocky soil, the thorny soil. That doesn't always, that some receives the word, receives and believes and some parts don't. God wants the entire entirety of, of our soul to be transformed into soil, into rich soil that can receive his word, bear fruit, and be food for others. And that's the goal of each one of us. That's our destiny. So belief is important. Pray for belief if you don't have it. Beg God. Be a beggar. One of my favorite scriptures that we pray in our breviary is cry out full-throated to the Lord. You ever thought about that cry out full-throated? That means holding nothing back. You don't care if anyone's around you. Maybe there's times that we, we kind of go, Lord, I, want, I really want you to help me today. I really need your... No, he wants us, Lord, I need your help, and I need it now. Come now, Lord Jesus, right? Maranatha, come, Lord Jesus. He wants us to cry out from the depth of our being what we need, unabashedly, unashamedly, because he is the one who has it for us. And as we cry out, we remind, we remind not only him of his great love for us, but we remind ourselves of our great love for him. Because sometimes sin makes us think, oh, who are you? You're a Christian. You, you call yourself a Christian, but look what you just did, what you just thought, what you just watched on TV or looked at on the internet. <sighs> You're not a Christian. You're not a follower of Christ. That's Satan. We all fall, brothers and sisters. Christians, disciples, those who believe, get back up and continue to be changed. Continue to change and, and that metanoia, but fall less and less. But when we fall, we fall into the arms of the Lord, in the arms of Our Lady, who, like in that great Pieta, holds us as we die to sin and we're born to new life. Belief is important. And I'm here to tell you, sin is not relative. Meaning that what's Sin for me may not be sin for you. There is a right and there is a wrong. Because if there were not a right and were not a wrong, and if sin were relative, then Christ would have indeed just died for a few of us. But he died for all of us. Because there is sin in the world. There is disobedience. Each one of us have sinned, and each one of us will sin again. But more and more, as we turn our lives over to the Lord, that will happen less and less. And because it happens less and less in our lives, it will happen less and less in the lives of others who we encounter, who, when we are inflamed with God's love, we change their environment by just simply, ordinary, live, ordinarily living out our lives in an extraordinary way made holy by God's grace. Jesus' death and resurrection broke the power of Satan once and forever. And he came so that we could have life to the fullness. To the fullest. He said, whoever drinks of my love, whoever drinks of this truth and believes in me will have eternal life. So drink of the truth. 
drink of his love. There's going to be times when you doubt, there's, when we doubt. There's going to be times when we don't remember, when we don't believe. All the, all the saints had this, brothers and sisters, had times where they did remember, times where they really couldn't grasp the hold of God's love, but they continued in faith to believe. They continued in faith to remind the Lord, you love me, you love me, you've called me to this, you're with me, help me, and continue to believe that he was there. Brothers and sisters, this, this, is, this is the era of Mary. This is the era of Marian saints. And Marian saints are those who call upon the Lord for everything, to allow their lives to be transformed by his spirit. So again, in that, and I say that, ask Our Lady to guide you too, if you're comfortable with that. Our Lady, help me to be a saint. Show me how to be obedient. Show me how to believe. You know, in what is spoken to us, that word that God brings us. The salvation of the cross is more about, is, is more about, is, is not just about, excuse me, is not just about going to heaven. The salvation of the cross is about being changed each and every day of our lives. Each and every day to allow God's love to transform us just a bit more. And what's going to happen, brothers and sisters, the things, the more we go to confession, the more we bring thanks to the Lord, and those things fall off, then the more aware, don't be afraid of this, the more aware we become of those other things that get in the way. Those things that right now aren't even on the radar. God will bring them into the radar. They'll become in view. But they won't come in view in a judgmental way. They'll come view in view of a way of knowing, oh, I'm loved, and God has shown me right now these are some areas I need to get removed so he can be more fully alive, so I can be on fire with God's love. The cross is where our personal history meets the history of salvation, or meets the history of, of Christ, that we are forever changed. This thing that you're going about, and I want this just to sort of be a visual reminder for you, as you, go about your, as you go about your lives and go back and forth, when you see a place that says free Wi-Fi, a free wireless connection, remember you already have one. You already have a wireless connection to our Lord. You're already connected by your heart to our Savior. And just as the wireless connection helps us communicate to the world around us, the wireless connection with our Savior helps us communicate to the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. Helps us communicate to our brothers and sisters if they're in front of us or if they're miles away, that it's there. So when you see that, or when you pick up your phone and you see how many bars, what is your connection, ask in that moment for a new point, outpouring of God's Spirit. Use these external things, these things that we see every day and go unnoticed. Use these things to remind yourself to ask God for that new outpouring, for that Pentecost gift of His Spirit, so you don't forget, so that we don't forget who we are, and where we're going. We say, Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen.
down